0: A biodiesel boom has been sweeping across the country for the last 14 months or so, and the energy industry has taken notice. But what could a dramatic uptick in soybean crush mean for grain farmers in the years to come? That's today on Field Posts. Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. From state-level adoption of low-carbon fuel standards, to companies like FedEx and Amazon making emission reduction commitments, to global conflicts putting petroleum-based fuel supplies in doubt, just about everything seems to be trending in favor of biodiesel at the moment and soybean crush rates reflect that enthusiasm, with crush levels at historic highs and promising to go even higher as many new plants come online in the coming months. To discuss what all this means for producers, we're sitting down this week with Progressive Farmer Crops Editor, Matt Wildy. He's been working on a deep dive into the biodiesel and soybean crush space and brings us the latest on the issue including the increased competition for acres, likely impacts on feed and exports, and what all of this could mean for farm revenue, income, and even local basis. We'll dig into all of this and hear what experts and farmers think the future might look like right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent, trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at MyDTN.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. Progressive Farmer Crops Editor Matt Wildy joins us today to discuss the growing demand for biodiesel in the U.S. and what it means for soybean growers in particular. Matt, soybeans have had a pretty historic run over the last several months in terms of demand and pricing in the marketplace. Talk to us a little bit about how soybean crush is playing into that larger story.
1: Yes, soybean crush is growing very rapidly in the United States, really at historic levels right now. We're seeing more plants being built And planned than we've ever than we've ever seen before in a short amount of time. From my calculations and research that I've done, um, we're seeing more than a dozen plants in various stages of development that are actually going up or expanding or in development stages. And this could bring about more than 500 million bushels of additional soybean crush in the United States. And this all is being sparked by a huge demand for renewable diesel in the United States. And soybean oil is one of the many feedstocks that are used to make renewable diesel and biodiesel. But the fact is that uh to, to supply a lot of this demand, soybean oil is in great demand right now, more than it ever has been. So decades ago, it used to be in the crush process, they couldn't use all the soybean oil. It was almost like a waste product decades ago. That's why the biodiesel industry was formed. And But now it is uh, not that case at all. Everything's basically being used. It's in great demand. And from what it, grain analysts are saying, a this will create a... Increase in commodity prices for not only soybeans, but for other commodities too, because of the battle for acres when more soybean acres are needed and so forth. So it'll increase uh, revenue potential for farmers overall, but there will also be a lot of challenges with the rapid growth of soybean crush expansion as well.
0: Let's talk a little bit about where that demand is coming from, because I think that's, as you said, biodiesel soybean based fuels are not exactly a, a new phenomenon, but they seem to. We seem to be seeing a lot of new demand. Where is that coming from?
1: Yes, we liken this new demand for renewable diesel. It's similar to the ethanol boom back in the uh, mid-2000s when ethanol just just took off with the renewable fuels standard was passed, mandating renewable fuels be blended into our nation's fuel supply. That included ethanol, biodiesel. And and so forth. But now with renewable diesel, that has just exploded in the last 14 months. The renewable diesel production capacity is up 86% to nearly 1.5 billion gallons. And that's uh, largely driven by overwhelming demand in California. Now, as, as many people know, California has a low carbon fuel standard, which in short, it's called the LCFS. And and California has a state mandate and policy where California wants to lower its carbon footprint by by 20% by 2030, and that's that's tough to do. I, as you know, California is very a very popular state, lots of traffic, uh, lots of industry, and so forth, and diesel and and emissions from vehicles a lot drive the greenhouse gas emissions in in, in the state, and they've Tried for years to do this uh, to, to reduce the smog issues and so forth in the states. and this is one of the ways they're doing this. However, to meet this to meet this goal, they were hoping that elect, like electric vehicles would. What I'm being told by Don Donnell Rehagen from the Clean Fuels Alliance of America, electrification of the of uh, transportation was a big part of this solution. But they're finding out this is—it's a little harder than they maybe thought it was going to be. There's a lot of electric vehicles on the road in California. However, to really make this chance, they need to get these these emissions down, and in order to do this, renewable fuels that have a lower carbon footprint, especially renewable diesel, that's one of the e- easier ways to enable to lower the the state's carbon emissions. So renewable diesel is literally a drop-in fuel, can be a drop-in fuel replacement for petroleum diesel, and here's why. Now, biodiesel, great fuel, but it's typically blended at a 2%, 3%, 5%, maybe up to 20% blend rates with petroleum diesel. Just because it's made, it's a mono ester of long-chain fatty acids. That's the kind of a technical term, or in simple terms, uh, it uses the biodiesel is used as a fat or oil as a feedstock, such as soybean oil, f- animal fat and greases, used cooking oil, corn oil, canola oil, such as that, as the feedstock to make biodiesel. And uh, it's reacted with an alcohol like methanol in the presence of a catalyst to make biodiesel and cr- crude glycerin. Now, the reason it's blended is in the manufacturing process. It's just, this is how it burns great in the motors and they don't have to worry about gelling up and if it gets cold and so forth. However, with renewable diesel, it's made differently. It's a, renewable diesel is a hydrocarbon, which is the same chemical as petroleum-based fuels. It's produced through hydro treating, a high temperature and high pressure process like tra- a traditional oil refinery would use when it makes petroleum diesel. So in a long story short, renewable diesel can really be used in diesel blends up to hundred percent. And it's, it can literally be a drop in replacement for petroleum diesel. It is. It's, it has a much lower carbon footprint than petroleum diesel on average 80% below petroleum diesel, according to the Clean Fuels Alliance. So when California's goal is to reduce carbon emissions by 20% by 2030, that's where biodiesel and renewable diesel plays such an important part because its emission, emissions from those fuels are so much lower than traditional, Petroleum diesel. And uh, as Danelle Rehagen says, you can't move goods without transportation. And many of the, and also many companies such as FedEx, Amazon, uh, and airlines have all pledged to lower their carbon emissions as well. So they're all clamoring for more renewable fuels too. So, in order for these companies, for the state to meet their low carbon goals, That's why petroleum or renewable diesel is all of a sudden becoming extremely popular in California and other states with low carbon fuel standards like uh, Oregon and Washington and so forth. And that is only gonna keep sweeping the nation. But soybean oil is the most readily available feedstock for renewable diesel and or biodiesel, because they still have to keep those plants going as well and supply those plants. And soybean oil has the most growth potential of all feedstocks, according to uh, studies that have been uh, done. Yes, that's why you're seeing the soybean oil demand explode, along with the explosion of renewable diesel.
0: I want to switch gears just a little bit. Now that we have that background, let's talk a little bit about what this means for farmers. As this demand goes up, obviously that ripples back through the kind of supply chain and to decisions that farmers are making. Talk to us a little bit about what this has meant for folks who are producing soybeans so far. And does it look to be having a significant effect on the 2022 planting?
1: First of all, yes. It it, it very well could have as far as 2022 planting. Probably not yet, but in future years, it very well could play a role in what farmers are deciding to plant due to commodity prices at the time. But but get, just getting back just a little bit about with renewable diesel here, the renewable diesel again, boom, that has exploded. That production capacity for renewable diesel has exploded 86% in the last 14 months to 1.5 billion gallons. And it is expect that production capacity, future demand is expected according to Clean Fuels Alliance America, which is the former National Biodiesel Board. That capacity is expected to be 5.5 billion gallons by 2026. Now let's put this into a context what the biodiesel, the whole biodiesel industry and renewable diesel industry is, is at that, this time. So we have 2.2 billion gallons of regular of biodiesel being produced with production capacity at this time, along with 1.5 billion gallons of renewable diesel production capacity. So that, that increase in renewable diesel production capacity is going to even dwarf <laughs> what's being produced right now. So again, that's why more soybean oil is needed. And California right now uses a billion gallons of biodiesel and renewable diesel at this time. By 2030, it's expected that state alone is gonna use 3.5 billion gallons. And that's larger than the industry even makes today, let alone what all the other states will be needing as they ramp up their low carbon fuels needs. So yes, soybean oil, Absolutely critical. So in order to do that, the industry is responding. So we're seeing an expansion, a rapid expansion of soybean crush, where in the past meal, soybean meal was the driver to crush soybeans. That is being on its head. Now soybean is the driver, what I'm being told. And so we see there's at least right now 14 new soybean projects in various stages of construction expansion or development and this is according to a bunch of company announcements recently and all that could create an additional 450 million bushels of soybean demand right now and and that could, number could be tens of millions of bushels, even low, because there's a couple companies who it's not their company policy to reveal what their soybean crush is at a couple plants that are being expanded. So it really could be well over 500 million bushels of additional demand. But again, competition, we we need competition. What does competition do? A lot of things, It's it can spur prices and, and that's what's going to be bullish for farmers in the future. So our DTN analyst Todd Holtman believes because of the competition for acres the, uh, and for other reasons, this is going to increase commodity prices as a whole, not so much at the top end, but really it'll a new floor will be sent for commodity prices by at least a couple dollars a bushel, what's projected for soybeans and corn. So for example, instead of like soybeans roughly, the floor in the last few several years has been eight dollars a bushel. The projection is a new floor could be $10 to $12 where, and then like for so for corn, it could go from the old floor around $3 a bushel. Granted, everything's a lot higher t- in today's markets, but the new floor could go up to $4, $4 or maybe a little higher a bushel for, for corn. It's just, it'll help smooth out. The low times won't be as low as they used to, but you can still see those high times as we're seeing right now. So yeah, and even maybe up to $5 for for corn. One other thing too, Sarah, uh, the University of Minnesota did release an economic analysis report here of dealing with how this could affect soybean basis levels because of this added demand. And the University of Minnesota, they studied a a new plant that's going to be That's projected to be built near Crookston, Minnesota. And they studied how that would affect prices in that area. And according to that study, they estimated basis levels would improve 10 to 20 cents a bushel for soybeans. And it could very well be higher because at Fairmont, Minnesota, there's a CHS crushing plant that was recently expanded from 55 million to 72 million bushels a year. And their cash bids are typically 15 cents or 30 cents higher per bushel, according to the study, than local grain elevators within a 30 mile radius. So all this could have a very positive economic impact for farmers.
0: Talk to us a little bit though about, obviously there's some short-term impacts, there's some long-term long impacts, but I assume there's some challenges in there too and some uncertainties. Talk to us a little bit about what the remaining questions are.
1: Yes, within, within the industry that is that grows, and especially girls rapidly, there's going to be growing pains. There's no doubt about it. And I've talked to many sources for this story, and many were identified. One... in particular, what will happen with all this demand for new soybean oil from this renewable diesel and all, and renewable diesel plants are growing. And these are mostly older oil refineries that are being refurbished by petroleum giants like Chevron, Phillips 66, and and other companies. And uh, they're getting into, into producing renewable fuels at a high rate. And that's it's being driven by economics for them too, because they see the extra demand for renewable diesel. There's uh, the federal dollar tax credit that's currently on the books for biodiesel. In renewable diesel, there is the RIN credits that are traded that you can make money on because of the nation's renewable fuel standard. And then there's also credits from the states, like California, <laughs> with their low carbon fuel standard credits. And all that means more money that, they, that can be made this so that's why again renewable diesel is going up but one of the challenges there okay we got a lot of a a ton of smaller biodiesel plants any biodiesel plants who the smaller ones like 30 million gallons 35 million gallons who were the grandfathers if you want to call it that of the industry started this whole thing a lot of investor-owned plants and right now what i've been hearing they're having a hard time finding enough feedstocks because other large plants These new renewable diesel plants are gobbling up all the feedstocks they can get, and they have a lot of money behind them from the large petroleum companies, and they they have deep pockets, so they're buying up as much feedstocks as they can get to supply their plants. And these petroleum companies are now partnering, which is unprecedented before, they're partnering with crushers. And it would say, hey, we'll help fund some of your plant or invest in your plant, but in return... We want that soybean oil. We have rights to buy us all of it or as much of it as we want. So that oil, even though it's, there's more oil that will come online with these new crush plants, it won't be available to everybody. It'll just go to the, that one refiner who they have, they're partnered with. So that is creating some consternation among the smaller biodiesel facilities. What, what's our future? Can we get these feedstocks? Can we do it and get them affordably to be able to make a profit? And I talked to one farmer, John Heisdorfer at the Arms of Kyoto, Iowa. He is an investor in a, a smaller biodiesel plant, Iowa Renewable Energy in Washington, Iowa. And they're seeing this already. They're having a hard time. They can't run at full capacity. They're maybe running at 80% capacity right now because they just can't get the feedstocks. And when they are new, they're pretty expensive. So yeah, he is worried about the future. Of, of that plant, definitely. You know, Why he says, yeah, added demand for the soybeans and higher prices is all great, but there's also challenges that come with it. This- very well could be one of them. What What are the future of these plants? So a lot of petroleum companies have joined forces, such as Chevron recently purchased Renewable Energy Group, the largest biodiesel producer. Chevron has joined forces with Bungie now to source feedstocks and make a biodiesel. Phillips 66 invested in a brand new soy processing plant in Shell Rock, Iowa, that's being built that should be coming online here and taking soybeans at the end of this year. But since Philip 66 invested in it, they have the rights to the 400 million pounds of crude soybean oil that'll be made from there. So yeah, there's definitely a lot going on. Supply challenges are going to happen as, as far as people worried, oh, do we, we have enough soybean oil? We have enough soybean acres to supply this, this growing need And I think most people are in agreement that yeah, there'll be enough acres. We grow right now. There's 91 million acres that are projected to be planted in the United States this year. LCM International did a study for the United Soybean Export Council, and they projected that we'll probably need about 94, 95 million acres in order to meet demand up through 2030 for soybean oil. So that's doable. But again, you take. If, if that grows, if another 45 million acres grows, the United States has already pretty much tapped out on row crop acres to boot. One has to give away to another. So maybe there'd be less corn acres and less wheat, less barley somewhere. Who knows? And that's where the battle for acres comes in. The ethanol producers or the corn processors see that and, they, and then they have to start bidding up corn <laughs> to keep this corn acres and uh, what they need for their supplies. So there's that, that issue and also exports. What's going to happen to exports in the future? If there's 500 million bushels more soybeans being crushed, that means there's could be potentially hundreds of millions, 500 million bushels less available to export. And that is, is a concern now. So yeah, the China, the world's number one importer of soybeans, most of their beans now comes from Brazil, but they still rely on U.S. beans for several months out of the year when no Brazilian beans are coming in. So they still need both countries and and others for their supply. Are they worried? And Jim Sutter from USEC said, yeah, they're thinking about it already. It's a concern, but he thinks they'll be able to meet their their demand as well for these soybeans. So yeah, and a lot of questions in the future, and we'll see how everything plays out.
0: I'm curious to some of those acreage challenges and as farmers are making decisions, how kind of the ethanol versus biodiesel biofuel trade-off plays out. Any insights on, in terms of, was there a potential that maybe biodiesel will overtake ethanol as the major use of U.S. acres?
1: Probably not. I I haven't got that sense yet because... The ethanol industry is, is still so important to the U.S. fuel supply right now, and the RFS that that is not going away by any means anytime soon. No, I haven't got that sense at all. Again, a lot of my sources I talked to you for this story. Um, the market will dictate what farmer plant and what they sell, and how much they sell, and when, and, and they. I think, yeah, the market conditions will eventually be the main driver there. I haven't heard any fears about the over, overarching industry being worried or threatened along that. However, <laughs> in local areas, there could be some worries about that. And that has already occurred in, in Castleton, North Dakota. Recently, there was a ethanol plant called Theraldson Ethanol. It's a privately owned plant, and they sent a letter, which DT and Progressive Farmer did obtain, to the city of Castleton to protest a proposed zoning change that would allow a new soybean crusher to be built next to it. And that soybean crusher was called North Dakota Soybean Processors. It was a a joint venture between Minnesota soybean the farmers and CBG Enterprises. And so again, this plant was is proposed to be built because of the renewable diesel boom and the demand for soybean oil. So to put the plant where they needed to put the plant, they needed permission, and and the and the ethanol plant objected to it. Now I contacted the ethanol plant, the person who did the board and he declined to comment. And the, however, I talked to a local farmer in the area and he, who uh, knows uh, the ins and outs of this, this situation. And yeah, basically he said that the ethanol plant was worried about future corn supplies and prices of corn. They thought it was gonna hurt their business. This the soybean producer was gonna hurt their business, which quite honestly, I find very ironic how they are both value added ag businesses that, that work with farmers. And have both close ties to renewable fuels. Typically, these kind of uh, businesses align together, and what and what's good for one is good for the other, and so forth. What's good for agriculture is is good for agriculture, but well, not in this case, apparently. But the city council ended up voting for the zoning uh, change, and the plant now is in line to, for construction to begin this year. So yeah, that was that was quite interesting, and that just all happened here in in April. So.
0: Everything is happening so fast. Talk a little bit, if you can, about the near future and how farmers are thinking about it in terms of, you mentioned some of these smaller, older biodiesel plants. A lot of them, I imagine, are tend to be more likely to be farmer-owned, farmer-invested. Talk about how farmers are thinking about the next couple of years, and maybe making changes to accommodate these bigger changes that are happening in the soybean world.
1: Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I I talked to several farmers for this uh, for this story, and again, they will make their planting and marketing decisions based on market conditions uh, and their own agronomic decisions. Now, many said, hey, I understand that it's going to be great. It's going to help improve our basis levels for soybeans. Our revenue potential should increase because of this added demand for soybeans and soybean oil. However, they still have agronomics to think about uh, when they're uh, making their planting decisions. What their weed pressure is, disease pressure, is rotation is still one of the best ways to manage those issues. So many of them said, I'm not gonna really the few of the farmers said, I'm not really gonna change my rotation. I I like my 50-50 rotation. It suits my farm. It's best for my ground. It's best for managing diseases and pests and weeds. That's what I'm gonna do. And that's it. And our DTN analyst Todd Holtman really said too he projects that he doesn't think farmers are really from that that traditional rotation either so that's where that competition for acres comes to play then will they get that those acres that that are needed for soy and that's really in the, a lot of the high states and Iowa but others have said that sure I could see a field that's that has more marginal ground or with other circumstances that uh, maybe instead of planting more corn on corn I would maybe go to even more of a rotation to put more soybeans on my land or maybe even choose planting some continuous soybeans as well others have said that sure if, if the money is there if the corn soybean price ratio is there and it favors soybeans more than corn especially with corn inputs nowadays with fertilizer prices uh, at record levels because it costs a lot, lot less money to plant soybeans and if you get, the, that's all gonna play a role in this as well. So it very well could, again, some people may not affect their rotation, others it certainly could. We're not, I'm not saying that we're gonna see farmers go 100% so all soybeans, some do. There are some farmers like that. I have talked to some farmers who just grow soybeans only and they've done it for almost 16, 20 years, over 80% or all their acres and it's been very successful for them and it can be done and done successfully. However, I I wouldn't think that's going to happen by any means on the on a large scale. But there very well could be some some favoring a little more soybeans than they have in the past. That I I can very well see that happening.
0: Anything else that folks should be keeping an eye on, or things that we didn't get as deep into as you wanted? Any kind of last thoughts?
1: Sure. Yeah. And there's so many. Again, with, with this story, with the rapid increase in, in soybean crushed, there's going to be so many good things that come with it. And again, potential challenges. Now, with all these new plants coming online, farmers, they're going to be state-of-the-art facilities, especially unloading. You hear some horror stories from some farmers saying, oh, I've waited four, three, four hours in line to unload soybeans and to sell soybeans at some crushers because their loading capacity is slower. They don't have as many dumps. Auger speeds aren't quite there just because it's a little older equipment. But this old, these new facilities will be brand new such as Shell Rock Soy Processing. I talked to the CEO there. He expects during harvest, during the peak times, he can get a farmer's in and out in 30 minutes, 30 to 40 minutes because they'll have the multiple dumps. Everything's fast, quick, probe the soybeans way through the system. And it's all new design just for easy traffic flow. So that'll be a plus. And then also a plus is, more crushers means they're gonna alleviate some pressure lines at other crushing plants, so there won't be quite as lined. So it hopefully this could all definitely uh, speed up harvest. But one of the growing pains again, is if there's a lot more soybean meal being produced, will there be enough demand for all this soybean meal? And again, the experts at uh, U.S. and Expert Council believe there will be, although there could be some challenges, making sure there's enough transportation and shipping to ship this meal to other countries, because again, China wants whole beans. They're all set up for, they have their own crushing facilities, they have the infrastructure for whole beans, they need the jobs for 1.2 billion people. It's not like they're going to want to buy meal from the US. They want the beans. So, in other words, um, we're going to have to improve our infrastructure to move meal instead of whole beans as well, to make it more fluid with rail transportation, trucks, especially at the ports. AGP is—it's a big processor out of Omaha, big cooperative. They use the Port of Grays Harbor in Aberdeen, Washington, to ship a lot of meal, and they're making a multi-million-dollar expansion of that port to ship more meal because they know they can see this coming. They see what's on their horizon, and again, the, the folks at Usec believe there's so many other countries that are up and coming. Protein needs are expanding. Where this meal, there's, it shouldn't be an issue selling this meal to feed their animals and feed people and and so forth, because protein needs are rising in in Southeast Asia, the Philippines, Europe. With the situation in Ukraine, Europe might crush less because they don't have the, as much energy now to run these crush plants. So they might have to buy more meal from the United States and, and so forth. So a lot of dynamics certainly in play here, but again we'll see how everything plays out.
0: You've done a ton of reporting on this topic. Talk a little bit about when folks can read this story, where they can read it, how they can learn more.
1: Yeah, the uh, the rapid expansion again of, of the Soy Crush, very important story to tell, and DTN Progressive Farmer is certainly going to do that. I've spent more than a month researching this article talked to more than a dozen sources for it to provide a comprehensive look at the rapid expansion of soybean crush and what it means for for farmers and how it may change the soybean complex in, in the future and farmers and industry officials anybody who want to learn more can can certainly read this story on dtnpf.com on a, in the near very near future and also the story will be in progressive farmer magazine in the august edition
0: this episode of field post was brought to you by the team at dtn progressive farmer with special thanks to matt wilde this episode was produced and edited by me sarah mock with support by greg hillier and kylie swanson and a big thanks to all of you for listening if you like the show please rate review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and until then remember. The Future of Farming is here! This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields. DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.